Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Our reading today is a wonderful one. It's the whole of chapter 14, Luke chapter 14. And it says this, One Sabbath... When Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him. And he sent him on his way. Then he asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast... Do not take the place of honour, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all the other guests, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, Do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and he invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. 
Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Large crowds were travelling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Large crowds, um, suppose one of you wants to build a tower Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. But whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. (laughs) May the Lord bless dear Trent as he comes to preach from your very challenging word today. Thank you, Lord God Almighty. Amen. <laughs> I'll put this back here. Ooh, who's feeling comfortable this morning? <laughs> Good morning, church. Those who don't know me, uh, my name is Trent. I'm one of their associate pastors with Hills Baptist. Um, and it's good to be here. I haven't preached in a little bit. Um, been lots of things going on. But I'm really excited um, about this chapter It's a crazy chapter. Um, So let let me get into it. I want to ask, who of us actually likes watching advertisements on the TV or anything like that? If you like me, I every now and again get really, really into it. I like watching the Gruen transfer or like, you know, those, those ABC shows about ads and all that type of stuff. But most of the time, we're just trying to skip that ad, right? You know, we're waiting five seconds and spamming the button. Oh, wait, the next one's unskippable. How annoying. Sometimes we just, you know, turn down the radio so we don't have to listen to it or switch stations or swap channels or mute the TV and then go on a toilet break before we come back. The challenge is, though 
is that there's so much advertising around us that we actually can't escape it, right? This is what our world has become. They're everywhere. And on that, let me indulge myself for a little mo- for a moment here. If I can have the thing seen. This is, uh, these are three pictures taken from Marvel movie trailers. Can someone shout out to me, what is the common thing? There's one common thing, might need to be a bit younger in the audience to, in, the, in our congregation to get it. What's the common thing in each one of these tra- um, pictures from the trailer? Uh, there's someone running. Well, the top one ha- is from Spider-Man um, No Way Home. The bottom one's from Spider-Man uh, Homecoming. The right one's from Avengers and uh, Infinity War. What's the common thing? War, not quite. Good versus, Good versus evil. We're going very esoteric. Funny clothing. I'll give, you, I'll give you a tip. Have any of you guys actually seen these movies? Put your hand up if you've seen these movies. Have you seen those scenes in them? Have you? No, they're not in the movie. Each one of these scenes is not in the actual movie. Shocker, ads lie to you. Would you believe? They're false. They're actually a twist. This is not what's actually going on. It's really, really interesting. They actually change details. This is from Ragnarok. This is what was in the trailer on the left. What's in the movies, what happens on the right. They change details on us. And they do this for a really interesting reason. See, most of the time, ads aren't actually trying to convince you of the truth. Right? (laughs) They're actually trying to sell you on a false need, on a story that you can relate to, so that you can actually buy into their product. Yeah? They're trying to convince you to spend your money on their thing. They're trying to say, hey, look at this narrative. Don't you want to be part of this narrative? Maybe they even want you to identify with it and maybe buy merchandise. And, uh, you know, as I'm wearing two Raptors things, I recognize the irony uh, in that. <laughs> they want to consume you with this product. They, instead of selling reality, they promote an illusion They want you to do this because it's cool or you're afraid of what missing out or they're trying to convince you that if you do this, you'll be attractive. They have so many things in this area and this is what is saturating our media and we get caught in this, don't we? I want to ask us this morning, how do you think Jesus would go in this environment? Imagine Jesus as a brand ambassador, right? He's coming up. Maybe he's trying to sell arcs. You know, he knows a guy. But bad tricks aside, imagine if Jesus was trying to sell discipleship to you with what we just read from this passage. How do you think he goes? Yeah, right? No, one, no one's listening to that. It doesn't work, right? It doesn't fly. You know, humble yourself. Invite the poor and marginalized to all your parties. Don't aim for mutually beneficial relationships. Tell weird stories. And yeah, hate your mum and dad, your siblings, and even yourself. You know, it's a real good sales pitch. (laughs) But thankfully, Jesus is not a salesman or a politician. Right? He is our Messiah. 
He's our lifeguard for the perilous journey that is walking on this earth and beyond. He isn't going to lie to us. He isn't trying to put a spin. No, Jesus is trying to meet us where we're at and reveal the truth about the kingdom, no matter how challenging. The kingdom is not about honor or shame or status or position or popularity or likes or pride or arrogance, wealth, consumerism, materialism, direct family relations or anything else that can get in the way. No, the kingdom is about Jesus as king. It's about healing, humility, sacrifice, valuing others. It's about truth and dedication. It's about being a disciple. And you can't be a disciple in your own strength or by earning it. No, you can only be a disciple through the power of Christ. And this is the mission of God being a disciple and inviting people into that space. Be ready to pay the cross, the cost. Take up your cross. Let me pray as we get into the word. Lord, this is a really challenging message for myself and for all of us this morning. May you speak through me, despite of me. May I not get in the way and may we receive what you have for us this morning. Amen. So we're doing a series on mission at the moment. We've had Nick, then we had Steve, and then we had Nick again. And this does flow exactly in that. Now, I don't have time to go and summarize what they've done, but it's really important. Nick spoke about, first of all, new creation, the very, very first one. And then Steve spoke about really servant servant hardness and how that works. And then Nick spoke last week really unpacking Jesus' starting on his mission and, and proclaiming the kingdom. Um, and it's really, really good because this leads us exactly to where we are here, which is Luke 14. And I know that this is not many people's favorite bit of passage. Who's actually read this before? Who's this is their first time hearing about it? It's okay. It's right. Don't be shy. Welcome to things that Jesus actually said. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's not easy. It's not easy. But let me hopefully get this on. Hopefully you can read that. If not, you can follow along with me. We've gone right through the chapter. So if you need your Bibles, it's good. Here we find Jesus at the start of another mealtime scene in Luke. He's at a prominent Pharisee's house, which means that he's uh, with probably one of the leaders in the Sanhedrin. It's like their ruling priestly class. And he's there for a Sabbath meal. And he's teaching the crowds and everyone who's around at this meal and probably spilling out of it about the kingdom. And this comes just after chapter 13, which is really interesting because it ends with the Pharisees trying to protect Jesus. They ask him to leave the area because Herod's going to kill him. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? You see, it's important to recognize that according to Jesus, and to some of the Pharisees, it's worthwhile saying, is that the Pharisees are not actually Jesus' enemy. Some were actually his followers. And Jesus is in trying to invite them into the truth of what God is really on about, as well as everyone else. However, they do have a lot to lose, and most of the Pharisees are in opposition, hence why he's being watched 
so closely. They're trying to trip him up. And this meal was a, a prominent, large, local event, and all of the important people of the town would have been there. And there, in the midst of all of that, Jesus sees a sick man with swellings. In the midst of all of this hullabaloo, Jesus sees. I want to remind us that in this day and age, sickness was often viewed as a judgment of God on sin and a refusal to, to obey the law. This is what the Pharisees were on about. And somehow this man was amongst them. And his condition wasn't like a sudden condition. It could have waited. But Jesus was concerned for him, took pity on him, and wanted to make a point. <laughs> right? He asked the Pharisees that, uh, those questions. And they, you know, what do you do with the ox and the thing? Right? See, this was actually a debate at the time. If you were in Qumran, which is like where, they, where we get uh, some of the scrolls from, you were not allowed to go rescue your kid if it fell in a hole. Right? On, on the Sabbath. You weren't allowed to do that. And the Pharisees were like, ah, oh, yeah, you can do that. Right? <laughs> It was, it was a debate. And the reason why they don't want to answer is really interesting. Because the Pharisees, really, if they allowed healing on the Sabbath, they would have to get rid of this tradition where you said, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that on the Sabbath, you need a rest. Right? They would have had to get rid of it, but they're preaching all these things. And they've been teaching them for a long time. On the other hand, though, if they forbid this healing which is clearly miraculous, then it makes them appear, you know, uncompassionate, uncaring, and actually dismissive of God's works. They were caught in, their, in a trap of their own making. And obviously they didn't actually listen to Jesus about his teachings on the kingdom. Otherwise they would have answered him. As Jesus then continues... Uh, with chapter, uh, verse 7, he comments on what he was seeing around him. All these people vying for honor, for status, for importance, for popularity. It was happening at the banquet in front of him. And it's interesting, Jesus isn't giving advice here. It's a parable. So there's meaning here. But we often ignore this, this section, this chapter we kind of split apart. But this is all one section, and it flows together. You see, this jostling for position, this game of popularity, seems strange for us. But it's this idea that, that honor and shame was of utmost importance in their culture. And the closer you are to the head of the table is the more important you are, the more honored you are. It might be interesting to think about where was Jesus in this meal and where was the prominent Pharisee. But we actually do similar things these days. Who goes to a wedding and it's at a wedding reception and judges maybe how close they are to the wedding couple based on where they're seated? Maybe if they've got reserved seating, maybe they try and swap a seat or something, you know, swap out the name tag. You know, isn't that right, Sarah and Sam? <laughs> where was I sitting at your wedding? <laughs> I'm joking, but that's actually the point. Right? <laughs> we still do this in all areas. 
But Jesus is talking to the upside-down nature of the kingdom. It's about humbling ourselves, not honouring ourselves, thinking of others. Jesus then continues in verse 12, and he addresses his host with these comments. And we should notice that the people which Jesus raises forward as the people which are needed, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, are the exact people that Jesus was including in his kingdom. The exact people which he claimed his kingdom was there for. Those who are despised, the least of these, the ones who are flawed. And we should see a warning here in this space, a warning against pride and arrogance, a warning against the view that others are less important than ourselves. But instead, believers are to do what is good without the expectation for future reward, but unselfishly, and God will remember them. On this passage, N.T. Wright talks about this. He says, Pride, notoriously, is a great cloud which blots out the sun of God's generosity. If I reckon that I deserve to be favoured by God, not only do I declare that I don't need his grace, mercy, and love, but I imply those which don't deserve it shouldn't have it. Pride is in opposition to the gospel. And we fall into this trap all so often. He continues with verse 15 as we move into the parable, famous parable of this section. And this mention of a future resurrection causes this random guy, which you don't know who it is, to shout out and comment. He says, blessed are the one or are the ones who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. And this comment is actually implying a couple of things which we actually don't get. This is a very weird comment, but it's really important to recognize because Jesus tells the parable in response to this. Firstly, it's focused only on the future kingdom banquet at the end of time. For us, this is really like spelled out in Revelations, the wedding feast of the Lamb. That's what he's talking about here. And this concept, the eschatological banquet, if you will, is all over Scripture, and it's fine. Jesus is actually going to use it as an analogy for the kingdom. But what Jesus doesn't say (laughs) is that these people may not actually be at the banquet. And this statement is this presumption that they are going to be there and that it's going to look like what they're doing. It's look like vying for importance. And again, this just shows that they haven't actually listened to to Jesus. Now, this is uh, Luke 14. Luke Acts 14. (laughs) Um, Jesus' message is really established by now. Like, he's gone around and preached about the kingdom. This is not unknown. So it's not that they haven't heard. It's that they haven't understood. What is his teaching on the kingdom? The kingdom of God is near, right? In Jesus, right? It's here. It's not just in the future. The kingdom is present in Jesus and in his ministry. This is important for us to remember that the kingdom and following Jesus is best for here and now, 
Not just in the future, yes, in the future, but actually it's best here and now. And we need to remember that the kingdom isn't going to or doesn't look anything like the games which happen around us. And as we see later, some people which we think might think that they are going to be there won't be. And then he moves into the parable itself with verse 16. It's really important to recognize that in this context, in this culture, this is actually a second invitation. There's two invitations which get sent out. They don't have emails or anything like that. They don't have phones to be able to recognize what's happening. So they actually send out a first invitation being like, hey, I'm going to have a banquet here. Come along. And then if you reply, yes, I'm going to be there, you'd be expected to be there. It's like, you know, again, going back to a wedding, they send you out an invitation and you're our RSVP, right? You're going like, yes, I'm going to be there, right? In this parable, that's already happened, right? This has already happened. So they said that they were going. And then these three excuses come up. These three people come up and they give these excuses, which are totally ridiculous, Right? Like, this is just not in the realm of possibility. Right? He's bought a field and he hasn't inspected it. You definitely would inspect a field. Right? Oh, I've bought some oxen. You know what they would be. Right? Oh, I'm, I've just gotten married. Right? <laughs> you would know what that date is going to be. You wouldn't say that you're going and then, oh, oops, I'm accidentally getting married on that day. I'm going to be on my honeymoon or whatever. Like, that's just not how it works. We need to recognize that they were doing this to insult the host of the party. This was intentional, right? When you reject the invitation to the banquet, it's intentional. You cannot do this by accident. It's also a reminder that these excuses are based in materialism and relationships. How easy can wealth and family relationships get in the way of following Christ. No excuse is valid when one faces the kingdom. So then after this, after their excuse, he gets, you know, rightly angry. (laughs) And then he sends another round of invitations. And in this one, there's also two invitations. The first goes to the very people that Jesus told the host to invite in the first place. We should remember and be, oh, Jesus is repeating himself. There's something here. We need to have the place of honor for the least of these. The last will be first. And then there's still room. So Jesus says, all right, go send the invitation to literally anyone you can find. Right? It's inviting everyone into the kingdom. But the challenge is they have to accept it. This amazing gift. This is the mission of God. Sending out invitations first to the least of these and then to everyone. Come to the kingdom. Come to the banquet. Jesus is inviting you. It's for everyone. How crazy is that? Jesus' party is not limited to 70 guests or something, right? It's not limited by the room size, right? 
New creation will house everyone who accepts the invitation. God is giving a party. Are you going to come? And he writes, says this again. Once again, therefore, the challenge comes to us today. Christians reading this anywhere in the world must work out in their own churches and families what it would mean to celebrate God's kingdom so that the people at the bottom of the pile, at the end of the line, would find it good news. It isn't enough to say that we ourselves are the people dragged in from the country lands and to our surprise, we are sitting and enjoying God's party. This is maybe true, but we need to remember party guests are then expected to become party hosts and servants in turn. Jesus then turns and then addresses the crowd. There's no break here. He addresses the crowd. He's just the the host. Now he addresses the crowd. And he addresses all of those which are following him for all different types of reasons, in part because of his own popularity, maybe because of family, maybe because of self-interest. But it's so interesting. He just threw out the invitation for everyone. He's like, hey, come and be my disciple. It's open to everyone. And then he says this. He speaks about the cost. Isn't what Jesus is doing here just astonishing? Right? It seems crazy. You want to be my disciple? Well, in that case, you have to hate your family, give up your possessions, and get ready for a nasty death on a cross. Hardly the way that we want to win friends and influence people. But we need to understand that hate here isn't really our understanding. Hate in this passage is used as a relative or comparative term, right? Jesus is contrasting, right? He's setting this up as a a juxtaposed position, right? What Jesus is saying is there should be no greater allegiance to the gospel than the kingdom. You need to be all in. In comparison to everything else, there's no actual choice, right? It just fades into irrelevance. And this is incredibly offensive, right? You just mentioned about all this honest stuff, but you need to recognize, we need to recognize that our family, our relatives, our position, our popularity is actually way, way below our allegiance to Jesus. Way below And this is crazy, and it's so hard to actually live as Jesus is number one. Because when it comes down to it, following Jesus has consequences. Sometimes it can isolate and separate yourself from those closest to you. Sometimes dedication to Jesus means a rejection of those who are not dedicated to him in terms of loyalty and ultimate allegiance, because it will be unhelpful and painful and, and bad for you to be in those spaces. Sometimes Jesus means rejecting self-interest and personal fortunes, recognizing that discipleship is a full-time commitment, not just the Sunday job, not just the time when we come and enjoy ourselves and top ourselves up in the worship service but going home and living a life dedicated to Jesus. 
Nothing can modify, interrupt, or compete with our dedication to Jesus our Lord. It's this lifelong commitment. It's not an event. The banquet is our end destination, but it's actually where we're at now. We need to follow this road, which ultimately, for all of us, most likely, will actually lead to our death. Right? I'm not, you know, being weird, we're all probably going to die. <laughs> probably, unless Jesus, you know, decides to come back, you know, early. I don't know if he, he could. Who knows the time or the hour? But if not, we're all going to die. So the aim is actually to die being a Christian. Right? Isn't that a weird aim? Think about that for a second. No one else, no other things have that aim. Our aim is to die still believing in something. Yeah? Can we go out and murder ourselves? <laughs> I mean, that's another discussion. I would say no. <laughs> we need to be following God's example. And if he calls us to death, then that's in his timing. It's his will which is done. Because earthly rewards are not actually our focus. Our rewards is for what comes in the kingdom in advance. In dedication, in new creation, not in this life. So we sacrifice. This leads me to the next section, these double parables which come towards the end. Both of these short parables put forth a situation where the person in question falls short and would be foolish to continue because they haven't uh, like assessed themselves accurately. This is the tower and the army, right? If they proceed to build or fight with their own resources, they will face the truth of a ruined tower or the devastation of a lost battle. And the truth that Jesus is getting to is this. We actually can't follow Jesus in our own strength. We can't actually do it. It's not humanly possible. We can't earn our way into the banquet. Actually, the invitation's already given out freely. How can we earn a free gift? It's ridiculous. But we still continually try today, don't we? We fall into this trap, particularly in the West, of trying to earn our way into the kingdom or think that we get gain privileges from our, from our acts of service. No, this is not what the kingdom is on about. We need to understand that we are flawed humans that can only be Christ's disciple by his power and the Holy Spirit in us. A.W. Tozer says this, The meek man is not a human mouse afflicted with his own sense of inferiority. Rather, he may be in his mortal life as bold as a lion and as strong as Samson, but he has stopped being fooled about himself. He has accepted God's estimate of his own life. He knows that he is weak and as helpless as God declares him to be. But paradoxically, he knows that at the same time, he is in the sight of God more important than angels. In himself, nothing. With God, everything. With ourselves, nothing. With God, everything. 
Let us not fall into the lie that the kingdom is about honor, shame, status, position, all these other things that, which, that this passage is on about. All these things can just get in the way. They are at times the biggest dangers for our discipleship. But at the same time, they are the greatest opportunities for gospel transformation. And we do this for God's glory with God's power in us, not through our own strength. May we be caught in this story of the kingdom, which is all about Jesus. It's about healing, humility, sacrifice, valuing others, telling truth, and being ultimately dedicated to Jesus, no matter the cost. It is an invitation to all, but it is incredibly costly. Let us stop trying to be a disciple in our own strength or try to earn our way into the banquet. Instead, let us surrender to the power of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit in us. Yes, be ready to pay the cost. Take up your cross. Let us be on the mission of God, sending out this invitation, this challenging word to all people, hosting a kingdom banquet which serves the disadvantaged first. We're going to move in now in a, in a, into a space, a chance for us to respond. We're going to move, as this passage talks about a meal, into the meal. We're going to move into the Last Supper, into communion. This is the taste of the kingdom that Jesus is talking about. In this meal, we recognize that the kingdom is here now with us because of Jesus. We recognize that we were bought at the costly blood of Jesus. And by his grace, we are freely saved. Here is the invitation afresh this morning. A chance for us to dedicate, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, to the true mission of God, to truly being about the kingdom, to truly surrendering and recognizing who can actually deal with our sin, Jesus alone. I'm going to ask our elders and, and maybe Nick, we're going to split our communion part at the back, part at the front. And in this next time, come and take the bread and the cup from splitting in half, as we do. And you can eat the bread in your own time, but hold on to the cup. And we will take that together. But let me pray as we enter this space, as the elders come up and, and grab at these things. God who protects the needy, provides for the poor, helps the helpless, help us get our values and goals straight. We strive too much for the rewards that man can give. We work too hard for human honours. We plan too much for ways to impress other people and maintain our status in society. Forgive us, Lord. Help us see the cost of discipleship. Give us the faith which can then pay the cost. Place the cross before us. This morning we forsake all other ties. And this morning we take the bread and the cup as a dedication to follow you, 
to be in your kingdom, to be on your mission, even to death. Lord, may this time be a place to convict us and help us and rededicate us to who we are in you. Shape us, Lord, and move in us. May your will be done. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.